This morning, we're going to be looking at one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. We're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 24. And I'll tell you the theme that we're going to be talking about as we look at this portion of Scripture. We're we're going to be talking about this fact that you don't need to be troubled. It's all going to work out. That's what Christ displays in this portion of Scripture. Now, today is the day that we as believers celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the central event of our faith, meaning every single thing that we believe ultimately rests on the truth of that event. It rests on the fact that Christ rose from the grave. If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, our faith would be pointless, If our Savior is dead, if our Savior is buried, then we're still spiritually dead, then we're still chained to our sins, we're still destined to spend our eternities as rebels who have been banished from the presence of God. But thankfully, we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus is not dead. The tomb is empty. He rose from the grave just as he assured his followers he would do, and because of his resurrection, We can also be assured of the fact that we as believers will also rise from death. That's the promise that Christ has given us. As we trust in Jesus, Jesus lives within us. And the grip that sin had over our lives, it's been broken now. And the command that Satan had over us has been completely nullified. And the sting of death has been replaced with everlasting life. And here on this Resurrection Sunday, this, these are the type of things that we're rejoicing over. These are the type of things, wherever you are, we're giving praise to the Lord because He has facilitated. He's accomplished all of this for us. And I bring this up for us today on this Resurrection Sunday to encourage our hearts with the truth that Jesus took time after His resurrection to explain to His early followers. He encouraged them to understand that they don't need to be troubled. So we likewise don't need to be troubled. Everything is going to work out, all according to the Lord's plan, everything in his timing. Jesus has secured the ultimate victory on our behalf, and everything that was torturing us, everything that was defeating us has ultimately been defeated by him. Now, this is the kind of confidence that Jesus was trying to instill in his early followers. And he was trying to do this after his resurrection because they were at a spot where they were very confused and some of them were feeling very discouraged and some of them were feeling dismayed. And many of them were kind of wondering, what do we do next? How do we, how do we respond? And so as we look at the passage that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to look at it in sections, so we'll take it a section at a time. But as we look at this, kind of, at, at this passage in particular, what I hope the Lord will do for us is that he will foster the same kind of confidence in Christ that the early church was developing, that the early followers of Christ were learning to embrace. And as we look at this portion of Scripture together, there are several questions that I'd like to ask us. There's, in fact, three questions I'd like to ask us today. And the first question is this. So I'll ask the question, then I'll read the Scripture for us. But the question is this. Why do you wrestle with doubt? Why do you wrestle with doubt? So we're in Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36. I'm going to read down to verse 33 or verse 43 for starters. This is what it says. As they were talking about these things, 
Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Let's pray. Lord, as we take a look at this portion of your word today, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that we would rejoice over it. We pray that our hearts would be encouraged through the knowledge of what you've revealed here. And Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at your word together today on this day that we celebrate your resurrection from the grave. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, help us to understand your word in its completeness, in its entirety. And by your grace, we pray that you'd help us to just apply it to our lives in every context that you place us in. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the first question that we're, we're asking today is this question of why do you wrestle with doubt? Now, when you take your minds and take your, your thinking right now back to the context in which Luke chapter 24 was being written and communicated in, it was a clearly established fact in that context that Jesus had been crucified and killed. Crowds witnessed it. Soldiers facilitated it. A spear jammed into Christ's lungs and heart confirmed it. And his corpse had just been placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And Pilate was informed by a centurion that he had been executed. And so, so all of these things had taken place. And on top of that, the scripture also reveals to us that a large stone had been rolled in front of the tomb where Jesus had been placed. And that that tomb was sealed and made secure. And it was being guarded by Roman soldiers. So all of these things were taking place. It was a well-established fact that Jesus had been crucified and Jesus had been killed. And yet, just as Jesus had promised, he rose from death on the third day. And he began appearing to his followers... He began to appearing to these men and women who had been deeply shaken and discouraged and disturbed by the harsh torture and the harsh execution that Christ had received. Scripture tells us that, that Jesus appeared to the women at the tomb, and then he also appeared to his disciples. And then in Luke 24, it tells us that Jesus was walking with others on the road to Emmaus, and the people of the time that he was appearing to, they were startled at his appearing. This was something that shocked them. This was something that surprised them. And even in this uh, passage of Scripture, it, you know, as we get into the later verses of Luke chapter 24, you have Jesus actually needing to calm down the startled people because they were so frightened at, at his appearing, and they thought they were seeing a spirit. They thought they, they were seeing a ghost. And so you have Jesus trying to calm them down as he's talking to them and as, he, as he's revealing to them what he's currently up to. And I like the question that Jesus asks this group of followers as he appears to them. He asks them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? I think that's a question 
that's well worth wrestling with. It's a question not just for them, but it's a question for us as well. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, in their context, Jesus had already told them multiple times. When you look through the Gospels, you could see he had said this many times to them. Multiple times he told them he was going to be executed, that he was going to be rejected, executed, and then rise from the grave. You see that pattern as he expresses this throughout the course of the Gospels. And I don't know, you know, so when Jesus said these things, I don't know if when his original followers heard him say these things, if, if they thought these were allegorical statements or maybe something along those lines. But when these events started playing out right there in front of them, it's clear that they were perplexed and they were terrified. They didn't seem to comprehend what they were seeing. It certainly was not what they expected, even though Jesus had clearly told them to expect these things. They weren't expecting it. And interestingly, as Jesus now appears to them and as he's talking to them, we're shown that they're also joyful and you know, so, so they're, they're kind of back and forth with their emotions. So in some respects, when I look at this, it, it, it seems to communicate to me that the believers at that time may have been experiencing some sense of, of emotional overload as they're kind of going back and forth from being terrified to being joyful. And you see this demonstrated here, but they were seeing things that they had never seen before, and it was taking time for them to process all of it. By the way, you know, as we, com- as we kind of comprehend or think about the, the things that they were experiencing during this time, doesn't it sound a little bit familiar? You know, haven't you experienced some of these emotions just in our day-to-day context right now? They, they were emotionally overloaded. They're going from being joyful to being terrified, back and forth, confused, trying to figure out what's going on all around them. And Jesus speaks to them in the midst of this context, and he, he asks them questions. You know, you know, why are you troubled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? These are the type of things that he's asking them to wrestle with. These are things that are useful for us to wrestle with as well. Doubt is a natural thing for us to experience. It's not an uncommon thing. From time to time, we've all experienced doubt in different seasons of our lives, in different contexts that we found ourselves in. It's not, unfortunately, uncommon for us to doubt God's goodness, to, to doubt his uh, provisions, to doubt his protections, to doubt his promises for the future, uh, because to believe these things, we have to trust that we're going to one day witness with our eyes things that we've never seen before. So if we're going to trust the things that the Lord's revealed to us in His Word, that means we're going to have to believe that we will one day see with our eyes things that we have never yet seen. And it's difficult to trust what you have not yet seen. It's difficult to trust what you're not yet familiar with, but that's what the Lord joyfully invites us to do in this portion of Scripture and all throughout Scripture. He invites us to trust Him for things we have not yet seen. But we wrestle with doubt. And why do we wrestle with doubt? Well, I think the big reason we wrestle with doubt, or one of the big reasons we wrestle with doubt, is that we, that we prefer to walk by sight. Our hearts prefer to walk by sight. But here's a truth that's worth remembering, and I hope that you'll remember this. Walking by sight fosters fear, not trust. I recognize that our hearts are, are, are naturally inclined to walk by sight. But walking by sight fosters fear, not trust. And the Lord wants us to understand what it means to trust Him. So if you want to live a fearful life, 
That means just go through life trusting only what your limited and isolated experiences have allowed your eyes to see so far. But if, on the other hand, you want to experience joy, trust Jesus, who invites us to become confident in Him. And He invites us to rest in the knowledge that our lives and our futures are safe in His hands. And so, again, the question you know, we're wrestling with for starters here is, why do you wrestle with doubt? Well, again, we wrestle with doubt because we prefer to walk by sight. But Christ is inviting us to walk by faith, to trust Him, to hold our lives securely in His hands, and to trust Him to show us things that we, as of yet, have not seen. This was something that the early followers of Christ wrestled with. It's the exact same thing that you and I wrestle with right now. And so Christ, when He asks them, why are you troubled? You know, why are you doubting? It's something that we should ask as well and wrestle with as well because we're in the same spot they were in. Well, there's another question that I think we could ask as we look at Luke chapter 24, and that's this. Do you understand the message the Scriptures have been trying to reveal to you? Do you understand the message the Scriptures have been trying to reveal to you? Look at what it says in verses 44 through 48. There it says this in Luke chapter 24. It says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I remember when I first started getting somewhat serious about reading the Bible for myself. I say somewhat serious because at the time that I'm referencing here in just a moment, it wasn't really a pattern for me yet, but I wanted to develop a seriousness of reading the Scriptures. And a friend of mine had encouraged me to read the book of James, and he said it was his favorite book of the Bible. And I thought, all right, the book of James. And so I remember sitting down on a couch uh, with my Bible, Uh, And I I sat down and I started reading the book of James. And as I was reading the book of James, I started realizing that I had no idea what I was reading. I was reading this in in a translation that was written in Old English. And as I was reading this, I started falling asleep and I just basically drifted off. I didn't understand what I was reading, even though I was reading important things. But it was my first attempt at trying to read the Scripture in depth, but thankfully I kept up with it as I grew older and over time began to really appreciate what I was reading. And the more I read the Bible, the more interesting it becomes to me. When I read the Scriptures now, there are things that I see that obviously I didn't notice when I was that young person sitting down reading the book of James in an old English Bible uh, that I wasn't understanding. My mind isn't in that same spot. I've grown in my understanding. I've developed a deeper understanding of the Word at this point, and I appreciate it, and it keeps becoming more and more and more interesting to me. And it's ironic because I spend a lot of time, obviously, even just by virtue, not just in my personal life, but also you would say in my professional life and preparing sermons and, and teaching and doing different things that I have the privilege to do as a pastor, that also forces me vocationally to spend extra time studying the Scriptures. 
And it's interesting because I feel like every time I think I'm familiar with the content of what the Bible teaches, I start to realize that there are deeper forms of information and deeper applications that start to become apparent to me as the Holy Spirit applies the the teaching of Scripture to my heart. So I continue to learn and continue to go deeper into the Scriptures and continue to understand. And I've come to recognize that as much as I think I know the Word, I'm always going to have the capacity to grow a little bit further in it as the Holy Spirit reveals a little more to me and a little bit more to me and shows me how to apply things to my life over time. And one of the most fascinating things about the Scriptures, and one of the most fascinating things about you know, the Bible when you think about it in its totality, is that the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures to be written over the course of about 1,500 years. And I want to read a quote to you. This is a quote you'd find online if you ever check out the website gotquestions.org. They have an interesting summary there that, I, that I'm just going to quote for us about the Scriptures. And they say this, Even though it is really 66 individual books written on three continents in three different languages over a period of approximately 1,500 years by more than 40 authors who came from many walks of life, the Bible remains one unified book from beginning to end without contradiction. And when you begin reading through the pages of Scripture... No matter what book you're in, no matter what section you're in, you begin to see that the content of each of those books of the Bible is trying to point your heart toward trusting Jesus. Whether you're in the Old Testament, whether you're in the books of history, poetry, prophecy, New Testament, wherever you are in the Scriptures, it's all trying to point our hearts to Jesus Christ. And so, following his resurrection, Jesus attempted to clarify this for his followers. He explained to them that the entire Old Testament, again, whether you were looking at the portions of law or the portions of history or poetry or prophecy, the whole thing, that's what was written up to that point, the whole thing was pointing to him. Time and time again, God's people were told that the Savior was coming. They were told where he was going to be born. They were told the family line he would be born into. They were told some of the words he would say. They were told the way he would die. They were even told when he would die. If you look at some of the prophetic portions of Scripture and do the math, they're also told why he would experience death, along with the fact that he would rise from the grave and offer salvation to the nations. It's all there. It's all there in the Old Testament Scriptures, and Jesus was pointing this out to this group of people. And it's also true that unless the Lord, unless he opens our mind to understand these things, it's going to seem like foolishness to us, and we won't understand what we're reading. So there were many people in that context at that time that had read these Scriptures. They were familiar with these things, but they didn't understand what they were reading, and that was very obvious. And there were some people that I think were actually troubled by what they were witnessing. The simple fact that the creator of mankind would take on flesh like his creation and allow himself to be humiliated and allow himself to be tortured and allow himself to be killed by the very people he made, it seemed foolish to those who didn't believe. But that's exactly what Jesus came to this earth to do. I love what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. In that verse, it says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, 
It is the power of God. But still, just as Jesus had promised, he suffered for our sin, and then he rose from the grave to secure victory over sin, while also proving to us that he is indeed God in the flesh. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, as Jesus states in this passage, the story of what he's accomplishing, it continues even beyond his resurrection. I want us to think about this for for just a second here. He tells us that his will for this era of human history, this era that you and I are living in right now, his will is that his gospel, the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that it should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. That's the part of his redemptive story that's still being written. That's what he's accomplishing right now. That's the part that you and I have the privilege to participate in with him. He lets us participate in this. And as he's opened up our eyes to see our need for him, he also gives us his words to speak to others in his efforts to open up their eyes as well. Do we understand this? Do we value this? Is this message, is this mission ringing loud and clear in our hearts and in our minds? Because that's the mission that Christ has given to us. Do we understand what the scriptures have been trying to reveal to us? Do we understand our place in this mission that Christ is accomplishing? Let me ask one additional question this morning, and that's this. And this is something that's brought out from verse 49 of Luke chapter 24. But the final question I want to ask is this. Do you appreciate the nature of the power you've been blessed with? Look at what it tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 49. It says this, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So I'm glad that at least where we live, it's starting to feel like spring. I I didn't despise winter as much as I usually do this year, but warmer temperatures are always welcomed by me. Um, I will say this, one of the least enjoyable aspects of severe weather, and we've even had some severe weather uh, over uh, in just the past few days, we've had strong winds that have come through and, and blown a lot of things down uh, throughout our region. Um, but one of the least pleasurable aspects of severe weather is when it causes power outages. And I saw a video that one of my friends shared with me uh, just the other day. I think this happened on Thursday in Redding, Pennsylvania, uh, they had just such strong wind gusts that came through and knocked down a whole bunch of trees right on one of their main streets. And those trees then knocked down a whole block of power lines. So the power lines all knocked down. And then someone took a, a camera and they were filming it and they looked down an, an alley and they showed how all the homes connected in that alley to all the power lines. The, the lines were ripped off all of the buildings. It was a complete mess. I, I'm certain it's going to take them quite some time to restore power back to that community. And locally here, you know, when we lose power, when our family loses power, it's interesting because we sit around in the house, house gets dark. If it's during certain times of the year, the house starts to get cold. Uh, you feel, you know, a little bit extra cooped up. You're all kind of stuck in together. And you start to realize just how much you appreciate electrical power once it's taken away. Uh, We definitely miss the power once it's gone. And I bring that up because when you look at this portion of Scripture, 
In this closing verse that we're looking at together today, Jesus speaks of power and the importance of us having power that's divine in nature. He recognizes that power is something we desperately need, particularly as we seek to live as his followers in the midst of this fallen world. And so in this passage, Jesus told his disciples, he tells them to stay in Jerusalem for a little while longer until they were clothed with power. And he said he'd be sending the promise of his father to them. And at that point, they would have the power that they needed to fulfill the work that he called them to do. What's Jesus talking about here? What's he revealing to his early followers as we look at these comments that he's making to them about remaining in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power that he's going to be sending them? Well, Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture reveals to us that God exists in three co-eternal and co-equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus was now preparing to return to the Father, and as he did so, he said he would send the Holy Spirit who would live within his followers and who would work through all those who trusted in him. So do we realize that if our faith is in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit likewise lives within us? He lives within us, and he grants us divine power, he grants us counsel, and he grants us wisdom so that we could navigate all the different experiences and difficulties and trials and seasons that we experience this side of heaven. He lives within us. He gives us his power. So it can be very easy at times to feel powerless in this world. I remember when I was growing up, I used to watch a lot of professional wrestling, and I say that as if that's like well in my past and that I haven't been watching professional wrestling this week. I don't need to admit whether I have or haven't. I'm just saying, when I was young, I used to watch a lot of professional wrestling. And one of the moves that was frequently used by wrestlers during that time, I don't really see it used by now if I was to watch wrestling now, and I'm not admitting whether I do or don't, but back then... It was used pretty regularly. It was called a sleeper hold. And so a guy would come up behind a guy, and he'd wrap his arm around him, wrap his arm kind of right under his chin, and then he'd apply pressure. And the idea was that he would knock the guy out. He'd make the guy fall asleep. The person would get weaker and weaker and weaker until they fell asleep. And sometimes, sometimes you wonder, how does wrestling apply to -to day-to-day life? Well, I'm about to tell us. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if the concerns and the worries that we experience right now in this world have us feeling like we're in a perpetual sleeper hold. You know, like we're just perpetually just in this sleeper hold where we're getting weaker and weaker and weaker. You know, sometimes I wonder how much of our time is spent dwelling on fears. And those fears just kind of choke us and make us feel weaker and weaker. And I, I wonder, you know, how useful it might be if we would contrast that with the amount of time we spend recognizing and appreciating the power that we've been given through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So just kind of think about that just from an individual standpoint for a moment. How much of your time is spent focusing on your fears and the things that you're afraid of and the things that, that you know, just keep making you feel weaker and weaker and more disappointed and more anxious And yet you spend how many hours during the course of a day thinking about those what-if scenarios? What if you catch a virus? 
or, you know, what if you die young, or what if this calamity happens, or what if that happens, or what if you run out of money, or all these what-if scenarios, some of which will never even happen to you or me. But yet we worry about things that aren't even in God's plan to happen to us specifically, as if for sure we're going to experience those things. And then we forget that even if we do experience those things, that Christ is sufficient for us even in the midst of it. And we spend all this time consumed with fear and so little time, if any time, focusing on the power that we absolutely have through the Holy Spirit. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And he gives you his power. And he gives you his wisdom. And he gives you his counsel. And he enables you to navigate life in a fallen world from the right perspective. And the right perspective is not a perspective of perpetual fear. The right perspective is one of hope, where we recognize that the Lord is accomplishing great and mighty things in our lives and right around us right now. His redemptive plan is being enacted right now. And we have the privilege to partner with him in the midst of it. So consider this, the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. He assures us of his power, and he also guarantees that just as death couldn't defeat Jesus, death won't be able to defeat you or me either. Christ's victory is now our victory. This is what we're celebrating today as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. I love what Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So let me say just a couple quick things as we finish up this morning. You have not been left powerless in this world. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that means that living within you right now is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Sin cannot crush you any longer. Satan's intention to destroy your life will not be victorious. Death has lost its grip of fear over you because the Holy Spirit lives within you and has granted you his divine power and his divine perspective. So today is a day of genuine celebration. It's a day that I'm celebrating, a a time where we're reminded of the pivotal moment in human history when Christ rose from the grave. And so today, as we we celebrate the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let's also remember what this means for us. We don't need to wander in doubt. We don't need to be confused about the message that the Lord is, is seeking to communicate to us in His Word. We don't need to live like we're powerless in the midst of this world. We don't need to live like we're troubled. In Christ, everything is going to work out. Everything. Every single thing. Every little thing, every big thing, everything in between, it's all going to work out. Our resurrected Savior will one day raise us up to be with Him, and we will experience eternal joy that will not fade with time and can never be taken away from us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the joy that we have as we reflect upon the things that you've communicated to us in it. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that 
We don't need to be troubled. We don't need to go through life feeling perpetually troubled. You've assured us in your word that everything's going to work out, and so we rejoice in that truth. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you've revealed these things to us ahead of time. We're grateful for how we see these things displayed in the lives of your early followers. And Lord, today, as we celebrate your resurrection from our homes, together with our loved ones, Lord, we're just grateful to be reminded of these truths all over again. Lord, help us to focus on the power that we have through you as your Holy Spirit dwells within us. Help us not to be consumed with fear. Help us not to be consumed with trouble. Help us not to go through day-to-day life with a woe-is-me kind of mindset. Lord, you've made us victors. You've made us more than conquerors. You've made us a new creation in you. And Lord, we will never leave this earth one minute early, and we will never be here one minute longer than you have foreordained for us. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that fact that our perspective toward life and death completely changes when we reflect on your resurrection. Death is a defeated foe. We don't need to give it sway in our lives any longer. Thank you, Lord, for these reminders. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for the the new life that we have through faith in you, Lord Jesus. We commit ourselves to you now, and we rejoice and celebrate in your resurrection today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list and take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.